Oh wait, am I? I'm not a German guy. No, I'll, no, I'll, you're, you'll be Disney. Oh, okay, okay. Was born in Chicago, but grew up in Missouri, so I don't know what the accent would be there. Whoa, I'll, I'll give it a whirl. Ah, yes, yes, sir. Private. Well, okay. Yeah, there we go. Ma 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 ma. Tip of the tongue. Tip of the tongue. Disney! Ah! Yes, sir! Uh, Private Walt Disney reporting for duty, sir! Just off the boat, sir. Ready to give those Germans hell. What's this on the side of your ambulance? Cartoons, sir! Cartoons? Yes, sir. Like the Sunday morning funnies? Sunday morning funnies? Yes, sir. The, the Sunday morning funnies, sir! And what's this here? Mickey Moose, sir. Mickey Moose? He's a character. I I'm workshopping it, sir. <laughs> workshopping? Sir, it's when you have an idea or concept and you want to refine and prepare the idea for a wider audience by testing it in small groups of peers or workshops until the concept feels ready for the general population, sir. I see. And what does Mickey Moose do? I'm thinking he's like a, I don't know, a steamboat captain or something. How would a moose fit on a boat? Good point. Hmm. Is that why you came over here or... War's over, Private. Go home. Mickey the Moose! 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 I'm a moose! You probably shouldn't even have come over here in the first place. Boy, you really don't think a moose would work on a steamboat, huh? Mooses don't have boats normally, but I do! Mickey the Moose! Hello everyone and welcome to History is a Joke, a podcast where we deep dive into different stories from history. And this week I am joined by a very mysterious guest. And they have not heard this story yet, so they will be asking questions along the way and helping me tell this tale to its fullest comedic effect. Today, we will be discussing the moose himself and the city of the future, Walt Disney and Walt Disney World. When's the first time you went to Walt Disney World? Me? Yeah. Uh, in Florida? Yeah. 2017. Oh, late bloomer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was 19. The biggest theme park I'd been to, I think, was Wild Waves in Washington State <laughs> on the I-5 there. <laughs> what was it? It was Wild Waves and Enchanted Forest. It had it had some some roller coaster. Luckily, we survived. So you weren't really a theme park person. Or, or family wasn't for whatever reason growing up. Well, for financial reasons. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Sensitive topic. <laughs> yeah, we couldn't. We had we had a swing out back on a tree that was pretty. <laughs> and I think we built uh, a zip line at oh, some point. Oh yeah, hell um, yeah. Like I was a risk taker. Yeah, I was a, a yeah extreme sports kid climb tree but yeah i would climb trees to get to get high yeah. you know what i'm saying yeah i know what you're saying climb some trees this afternoon you know what I'm talking about? climb some um. trees yeah but no i <laughs> i i always dreamed of it but uh never went oh that's kind of sweet and sad well now you're working on the most expensive fucking one of them all so little Look at me now. <laughs> I'm going to the top. I'm going to outer space. When you come to Orlando and you go to Walt Disney World, it's, oh, you turn off the freeway and you drive for another 10 miles. And then there's one park and then you can go park at a different park. So there's, there's, it's like 42 miles. Yeah. Right? It's, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's its own town. Oh, yeah. Essentially. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about that. Oh, spoiler alert. Sorry. <laughs> Do you get any general Disney education when you become a, a cast member? You do. It's called Disney Traditions. We'll see what I can remember. 
Walter Elias Disney was born in Chicago, Illinois on December 5th, 1901. He was the second to last of five children. When little Walt was five years old, his family moved to Missouri to help develop. So why didn't you just say he was the fourth? He was the fourth child. Was that, was I was that trying to figure out a way. The third. Uh, that right. would make him the fourth, <laughs> second to last. Yeah, he's second. Yeah, to he's the, the fourth la- child. Fourth child out of five. So I could have said he's four out of five. People write in uh, or tweet us at. He was the second. <laughs> That's the right way to <laughs> at on TikTok. Uh, he was the second to last of five children. He was the fourth of five children. He was four out of five. He was the fourth child out of a, fi- out of a five. Out of a block. litter of five. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're already off to a good start. <laughs> well, you guys get it. So he, there was five children. He got beat up a lot, essentially. <laughs> when little Walt was five years old, his family moved to Missouri to help develop Uncle Robert's recently purchased land. His dad's third to last second cousin. A very different life from the city of Chicago. It was in Missouri that Walt's love of drawing and artwork began. One of his first pieces being a commissioned drawing of a neighborhood doctor's horse. He painted the horse? Oh, a drawing of the of the horse. Yeah, like a, I assume, like a sketch, like a pencil. And I thought for a second that he painted the horse. That's a crime <laughs> in Missouri. <laughs> yeah, isn't drawing a horse? Isn't that a term for you draw up to eat it? Well, I don't know. Or draw like, a horse? Is it a thing? Maybe it's drawing up the water from a well. And I love that it's the neighborhood doctor. Like went door to door and it's like, hey, everyone feeling good in here? Neighborhood doctor checking in. Some kids sell, uh, they have a lemonade stand. This guy has a doctor stand. (laughs) Ah, a horse-drawn carriage. To pull or drag something is to draw something such as a vehicle. So as to make it follow behind. So did Disney draw? Or did he make a rendering of it? Mm -hmm. I believe it was a pencil and rendering of a horse. So I was sort of right. Don't at me. Walt started using watercolors and crayons to copy the cartoons from the local paper. The artist in particular being Ryan Walker. Walker's artwork is very dark with harsh shadows, all pencil work, and his artwork was often very political, Walker being a communist. Whoa, whoa, the the C word came out already. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he would look at the paper and, and, and learn to draw through copying this particular artist's artwork. I mean, I did that as well. I mean, you got to learn. You got to draw. You got to, you know, you steal art to learn how to do it. Right? Exactly. And how are you going to learn? If you don't steal. Everyone's just doing an impression of somebody else. Yeah, you're a m- musician. Everything you do is stolen. Don't sue me. <laughs> don't add Sharon me. And if you're going to pull a horse through the field, <laughs> you got to see how someone else pulls the horse That's through the right. field. That's <laughs> right. The newspaper became an integral part of Walt's life as he and his brother Roy took up a paper route in what became a six-year-long career in the paper delivery industry. Walt eventually took a course in cartooning over the mail. Wait, wait, his course? He took a course over the mail? Well, you draw, it would be drawing the mail, I believe is the technical term. yeah, like a like a mail in like a mail correspondence. Oh, so like like we would take it online class. Yeah. Would take it, so it just takes seven months as opposed to a week. Okay, that's interesting. I don't know. I guess they'd mail instructions and different pieces of step by step drawing guides or something. Yeah, okay. And then he Walter's so old. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, he was. What did we say? Nineteen oh one. He was born. We didn't say that. You said that. 
but <laughs> December 5th. By high school, Walt had moved back to Chicago and the big city. High school, Walt in Chicago, I'm thinking like long hair, you know, like bell-bottom jeans. It's like smoking in a doobie back outside the... Wait, so this is like 1919? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like 19 or, or a little earlier, yeah. Walt attempted to join the army to fight the Germans during World War One. So that would have been, you know, 19... 19, 17, 1918. Great movie, by the way. Uh, I haven't seen it. I've seen some of it. Was it good? 1918? 17? Or 17? <laughs> yeah. No, I watched the sequel. It's phenomenal. It's amazing. One shot, one take. Yeah. Well, not really, but <laughs> I don't know if that interests me that much. I don't know why. It just doesn't... I just don't... It's wild. It's a wild ride. Did you, did you like Fury Road? No, no, I hated that. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, my Lord. Okay, well, then you definitely wouldn't like... No, it's it's different. But it just felt... It's, it's like the action yeah. is just nonstop, and it's yeah. really... It feels like you're there. I guess you can't handle it. <laughs> did you see the Peter Jackson, uh, They Shall Not Grow Old documentary? No. Oh, man, that one is, is amazing. Walt later forged the date on his birth certificate and joined the Red Cross as an ambulance driver. But by the time he arrived in Europe, the war was over. That was that little skit we did earlier for people. Wow. He forged his birth? Yeah, he wanted to go that wow. bad. That he, he tried so to So he like probably up. just changed a seven to an eight or something. Instead of being the second to last of five, he said, I'm the... I am the third. <laughs> third to last of... But yeah, he wanted to go so bad, he, he tried to join the army, they said no. And so he took his birth certificate, scritch, 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 seven to an eight, second to a, <laughs> second to a three, <laughs> second to a third, yeah. and uh, and joined the Red Cross uh, as an ambulance driver. No, I did actually volunteer for the Red Cross during the famous Skagit floods of oh something early oh one oh two. Um, wow! There was a bunch of floods, and we went down to the Red Cross, and I volunteered to do sandbags did you draw the sandbags yeah i drew on the on the side of the sandbags little sketches i drew mickey mickey moose on the side of a drew little dicks on it (laughs) oh dear but walt would draw cartoons on the side of his ambulance supposedly reportedly oh that's cool little doodles and things and so when someone just got their like leg or arm blown off at least they've got something fun to look at my leg my leg i don't know why they sound irish oh my leg (laughs) are you done (laughs) <laughs> no, there's more where that came from. Uh, he... I'm bleeding. <laughs> I'm bleeding, but that's a funny tree. Because it's talking to the squirrel. But trees don't talk. Oh, Walt. Uh, and even had a few pieces published in the Stars and Stripes newspaper. A newspaper that was created for those serving in the military. And legend has it, the Stars and Stripes was founded during the American Civil War by the 11th, 18th, and 29th Illinois Regiments. <laughs> this 11th to last. <laughs> 18th. This is the 11th of 29 regiments and the 18th of 29th Illinois Regiments serving in Missouri. The local newspaper office was deserted due to the war and all. Uh, so the regiment started their own newspaper. I just thought that was interesting because that's a similar path that walt took from very interesting uh illinois to missouri and that led to fox news paper still printed out of that same missouri (laughs) fox news after the war this is the world war but not the civil war (laughs) walt's not quite that old (laughs) walt returned to missouri kansas city specifically and started an apprenticeship at a local commercial art studio i've been to kansas city cool city kansas city's very nice in all honesty, it's very nice. In all honesty, 
I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I wouldn't want half half honesty. or That's what I do most of the time. Even a quarter. You know what, Zach? You're an all honesty kind of guy. I like that about you. <laughs> Only when it's declared. A lot of people, three quarters, maybe four fifths, but not you. All. There he befriended fellow artist Oob, Ub, you should know this, Oob Iwerks. What's the first name? How do you pronounce it? Quick. UB. What was it? Disney Provisions? What did they call it? Traditions. <laughs> this is Walt's greatest collaborator. Look, man, it was, it was. The Civil War just ended. <laughs> this is a long time ago. There's a lot going on, all right? Have you seen 1917? Great movie. Uh, I think it's Oob Iwerks. Iwerks? You works. We all works. We all works for Disney. That's good. Okay, so he's at the Kansas City commercial art studio as an apprentice and there he befriends uh mr iwerks and uh who <clears throat> iwerks would go on to become you're doing great buddy. you're doing you're doing great I climbed a tree earlier iwerks who would go on to become one of walt's greatest collaborators shortly after their meeting however disney and iwerks were both laid off as they were holiday hires and the work just wasn't there rough Tough gig sometimes the spaceship just doesn't fly forever oh too soon jerk face Together, they started the short-lived company iWorks Disney Commercial Artists. Unable to secure enough business to keep the company afloat, the pair soon found themselves working together for the Kansas City Film Ad Company. The ad company created animation advertisements using the cutout method of animation. The cutout method, which is exactly as it sounds, the use of paper cutouts on figures and objects placed on a paper background and manipulated frame by frame. Think of South Park-style animation. Mm. Walt became extremely interested in the concept of animation, though his love of drawing led him to the cell style of animation. Cell animation works similarly to cutouts in that you can create several images on the transparent cell paper and stack them on top of each other to create a full image from the camera's perspective. To create the motion, a new cell image is drawn and replaces the previous cell, frame by frame. Mm. Yep. Stacking the cell papers allows you to draw one or two master background images and reuse that same cell as the character or object cells on top are replaced frame by frame. That's how uh, 1917 was made. One cell. For someone who loved to draw, this would be the dream way for Walt to animate his cartoons. Mickey the Moose would finally come to life. Moose! Mickey the Moose! Give me some vocalizations, maybe some things that Mickey the Moose might say or do. That's what I, I just did that. Woo-hoo-hoo! Moosing along! Moosey Moose! Look! There's another fish! Yeah, like he's, he's from Missouri. Like he's on the Missouri River, probably. <laughs> hey! Uh-oh! There's someone chasing us in the boat! Conflict. Yeah, as an improviser, there's always got to be conflict. I don't know why it wouldn't have worked. His neighborhood doctor said, said it wouldn't work. <laughs> and whatever the neighborhood doctor says, now the moose wouldn't be on the boat. That's too weird. But bend over. I'm going to give you a shot. With another co-worker, Fred Harmon, Walt and Fred started making cell-animated shorts for the Newman Theater in Kansas City titled Newman Laughograms. Great name. Great name. Like Walt's previous artistic inspiration, Ryan Walker, Walt found a new artist that would provide the greatest influence on his style and storytelling. Paul Terry. Did they talk about Paul Terry in the Disney provisions class? First name, first name, Paul Terry. They sound like baseball, they sound like pitchers for the Ryan Walker and Paul Terry. He's throwing 335. <laughs> 1980s, late 70s pitchers. Huge mustaches, mullets. Terry was an American cartoonist and World War I vet. It was Terry's animated film series, Aesop's Fables, that created a template for Disney. 
In this series, Terry explored loose adaptations of different folk stories and fables told through different animal characters, including mice, mm. and the farmer, Alfalfa. Is this foreshadowing? I feel like this is foreshadowing. Well, looking at the drawing style of Terry's, it's obvious this was an incredible influence on Disney. And honestly, full honestly... Thank you. Thank you. In my opinion... It's difficult to tell the characters from the Fables film series apart from early Disney characters and animations, such as Oswald and Mickey Mouse. Mm. Anyone can go look up Aesop's Fables film series that Terry did. It's all, all online. It's on Wikipedia. You can go look up the Newman Laphograms. Like, you see Disney's work prior to Terry, to the Aesop's Fables. It's totally different. It's just a bunch of horses. It's always been drawn since then. Walt, stop drawing horses. <laughs> He was influenced by Ryan Walker, who was very much pen to paper, sketch-related work. Hashtag communist. It was very much sketch work. It was sharp, harsh lines. It was shadows. It was not what Disney's work looked like in the beginning. Go look at Terry's work. That's, it's, it's Disney stuff. It had a place, and that was on a World War I ambulance, okay? <laughs> That's when. <laughs> you know, a moose is a lot like a horse. I'm making the moose thing up, of course. There's no evidence Walt was ever drawing a moose. Anyway, Disney and his partners saw this style and were like, let's do that in our Newman Laphograms, including not only conceptually, but including like stylistically, in my opinion. Well, you can look for yourself. Disney and Terry would go from peers to rivals, and soon Disney would eclipse Terry and leave the elder artist chasing after Disney's ideas and creations. Oof. Yeah, isn't that a sad, like, because the guy was older and he was, you know, Walt's a young guy. He's in his early 20s. When the student becomes the master, you know? While a pivotal moment in Walt's career and artistic journey, the Laphograms were not a moneymaker. It might have been the name. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know. That sounds like a like an improv team, which, you know, Laphogram. Come on down to the Laphogram. And it was like two guys named Graham. We're the Los Angeles Laphograms, guys. Thank you so much for coming out tonight. Can we quickly just get a place and an occupation? Anybody. Steamboat and Moose Trainer. Did you do improv in L.A.? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you made it out live? <laughs> You're still here? I'm still here. I think so. I think so. You're not on a cruise ship somewhere? Did sketch comedy down there. Oh, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. I said the I word. Hey, you know, it's not your fault. The first gig we did was it's a, there's a lot of indie shows there and it was at like 10:30 and there was two other groups that were performing and the only audience was us one or two of our friends and then the other groups who did their set and then promptly left <laughs> just left so then we did our set for like four people uh, and I was like, oh, this is very different. <laughs> well, it prepared you for the Galactic Cruiser. Sure did, my friend. Sure did. A reminder that all films in this era are silent. Shh. They could have recorded it. They just didn't want anyone talking. <laughs> it was rude to talk during the movie, including the movie itself. Keep it down. In 1923, at 21 years old, so he's still a young man, Walt moved to Los Angeles to be near his brother Roy, who was recovering from tuberculosis. Congrats, Roy. Roy was the paper route brother, and Roy will come back in here later on in Walt's life as well. Spoiler alert. <laughs> At the time, New York City was the epicenter of the animation world. So in Los Angeles, Walt set his sights on directing live-action films. It was in Hollywood that Walt reconnected with his old partner, iWork. 
and after selling his live-action animation combination concept film, Alice in Wonderland, this was in Walt's kind of psychedelic drug, you know, we mentioned him with his long hair and his bell-bottoms, he's dropping acid, oh, yeah. he's got his... Yeah, yeah, he's climbing trees, man. So after he sold this psychedelic, and, and, and by the way, the movie is weird, and it is an animation combination thing. It's like kind of based around Walt's studio and Walt is in it. He's he's one of the characters in it and it's kind of is around this young girl kind of poking around the studio and then all of Walt's animation, you know, animated cells come to life and then at some point she's in this totally animated world. So it was a kind of it was a loose Alice in Wonderland adaptation. I think we saw clips of that in my traditions class. Walt created Disney Brothers Studios, named for Walt and his brother Roy. The company eventually became titled the Walt Disney Company. Sorry, Roy. <laughs> Bye. It was originally going to be the Super Disney Brothers, but then it's a me, Mickey Mouse. <laughs> and the first official Walt Disney Studios opened in 1926 on 2725 Hyperion Avenue in essentially Los Feliz, northeast of Hollywood. Oh my lord! In downtown wow, you're LA, gonna get, you're going to get so much hate mail for both those. What did I do? It's it's Hi Hyperion Ave, and it's it's Los Feliz. Oh, Los Feliz. Okay. Ugh, lordy, wow. I lived right right uh, in Los Feliz, right underneath Griffith uh, Observatory. Actually. So you lived close to where the original studio was. Yeah, yeah, right there. The building has been is not is not there anymore either. So after the Alice in Wonderland live action combo film, Walt wanted to focus solely on cell animation. Thus, Disney and iWorks created Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. You know about Oswald? No. Kind of looks like Mickey Mouse, but with a rabbit. Yeah, of course. I. I didn't understand your pronunciation of it. Oh, Oswald, the lucky rabbit. That's right. I'm sorry, I, I butchered the, the California pronunciation. It's Oswald. It's Los Oswald. <laughs> Los Oswald. You can think of the Disney iWorks partnership akin to the Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak work model. One has got the dream and the other has got the steam. Hoo-hoo, did you write that? That's good. After being unable to garner a higher fee for the Oswald animated series and realizing the intellectual property of the Oswald character belonged to Universal Studios, Disney and iWorks independently developed the mother of them all, Mickey Mouse. The mother of them all? Of all their ideas. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess. You know, like Mickey Mouse gave birth, if you will, to all the other characters and ideas and the parks. Could be the father of all? No. Fathers don't. Fathers don't. You're right. Let's cut this out. The mother of them all just sounds more like organic and natural. The, the bringer of life. The father, you like, for some reason, I just, you have to envision sexual activity in some way. Is that just me? <laughs> you might have some, some deeper issues going on. What did he do? Just like get it in and get it out and have a cigarette? Like it just doesn't. Do you have a neighborhood doctor you could go talk to? <laughs> they, 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 they got, they, they made Mickey Mouse. They created Mickey Mouse. And just in time for the convergence of light and sound. In 1927, the first feature film was released with a synchronized dialogue and musical soundtrack. 1917. That's when it first came out. 1927. <laughs> Prior to this, films were released silently, and if available, a live musician, or if you were so rich, a live band would perform music to accompany the film. Now, a brief note on said feature film that contained said synchronized sound. It was The Jazz Singer. No, no. Otherwise known as the first La La Land. Otherwise known as that 1920s movie with all that blackface. Oh, boy. Yeah, sorry. 
Researching this film, there is a lot of conversation around the legacy of the movie and all the racism and destructiveness of blackface and the horrific history of minstrel shows more broadly, and how this was all twisted up in the Jewish-American identity story at the center of the film and the play before that. Complicated stuff, and there is a lot to read and learn about this film's usage of and the greater subject of blackface in American history. That is the movie that is the first sound film, so we just need to talk about because I couldn't just... I don't know how to say it. Unfortunately, that was the fucking movie that they did the first time. I mean, do you know the jazz singer? Do you know, have you heard of it? I haven't watched it, no. But but you know of. I know, I've heard about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will also say, in my opinion, Mickey Mouse looks a little black-facey. He has the obvious color choice. Gray was a tone that existed in black and white film. He has the quintessential minstrel show white gloves. The mouse bears the distinctive white over-exaggerated facial markings akin to the traditional minstrel show makeup, in my opinion, which is also backed up by other historians and researchers in the field on this topic. Uh, there's plenty to read out there. Uh, the animation at the time, unfortunately, it was the thing. Uh, to lay credit where credit is due, it is my understanding that iWorks actually penned Mickey and did the design and Walt voiced the mouse. Uh, and we learned these images were, uh, in my opinion, copies of Paul Terry's work, which was subject in my opinion, to the same pitfalls regarding the minstrel style characters as well. So can't lay all the blame on that iteration simply with Disney because, you know, as as we said, he was heavily inspired by this other guy's artwork who was also creating these characters, which looked, you know, very close to these sort of uh, caricatures. So it, it is interesting that that converges with the release of this movie and that Mickey comes to be around the same time that this story and this film was in the public consciousness and that kind of thing. I think it just speaks to the pervasiveness of that in general, especially at the time, but still with me? Long since left this chat. Sorry, I have a job to keep over here. Yeah, I mean, the history of the United States is problematic. Well, the way I wasn't asking you to comment per se. I was just, I was asking if you had heard of, because this is, as a historian myself, you come across these things and, and we see these discussions. Wait, are you, you're a historian? Amateur. Neighborhood historian. <laughs> Draw me a horse. So I was just curious if you had heard or whatever, but it's not. It's not something I really want to talk about. Put out there, be associated with. No, well, that that's why I say it is, in my opinion, not. And uh, anyway, the release of the jazz singer, not to be confused with the wedding singer, sparked a huge want from audiences for sound films. And in 1927, Disney released the third Mickey Mouse film with synchronized sound. That film was. Steamboat Thomas. Steamboat Willie. It is here that Walt comes back into competition with Paul Terry, as the Aesop's Fables film series was getting a re-release, this time with sound as well. Steamboat Willie, of course, overshadowed the Fable series, and the rest is history. Ten years later, Walt is releasing Snow White. Ten years after that, Disneyland is open in Southern California. Kablooey! From Steamboat Willie, 20 years later... It's Disneyland is open and and he's just on top of the world. He worked hard, but he was also still a very young guy. (laughs) And it just skyrocketed. So he's still in his 20s. Yeah. Paul Terry would continue to work and create characters and cartoons. However, always working in the shadow of the Disney giant. Terry went from inspiration to copycat himself, in my opinion, as he released characters just years after their Disney counterparts, including Gandy Goose, Dinky Duck, and Mighty Mouse. Oh, he did Mighty Mouse? Yeah, that's Paul Terry. 
And, but Mighty Mouse was after Mickey. As, yeah, was as Dinky was the duck. duck. That was after Donald, um, like two years after Donald. Yeah. Dinky Duck. I like Dinky Duck. But but Terry, yeah, continued to work and had, you know, had things, had work, had a career, had shows, had cartoon series and all that stuff, but did not ascend to anywhere near what. Um, and it's interesting that Disney never, I guess he just saw him as competition, never like hired him or was like, hey, come draw for us since we kind of draw the same. Yeah. At that point, it's like, hey, game recognized game, but Disney was winning. We now fast forward to 1963. Walt Disney is flying over the swamps of Florida, secretly looking for a massive land grab on the eastern seaboard to fulfill a lifelong vision. The city of the future. Codenamed the Florida Project, Disney sought to create the metropolis of tomorrow, adjacent to a Disney theme park, connected to multiple resorts, connected to recreation lands, next to an airport, and so on and so on. The vast, unused landscape of Florida provided the perfect space for this vision. Disney was also trying to tap into the majority of the American population, which lived east of the Mississippi and wouldn't or couldn't travel all the way to California. Mm, travel was hard, yeah. Yeah, especially then, even now, uh, he kind of shot himself in the foot with the theme park in California because it was it opened in 1955, and by 1959, he was looking to build a new one somewhere on the East Coast because people just couldn't. Most of the population was there, and they just couldn't get out. So, like California, we can't go all the way over there. Yeah, what are we gonna gold? What are gold mine? Yeah. What are we? What are we made of money? What are we gonna spend a night on a galactic cruiser? To avoid unwanted attention during the early phases, Disney uses shell companies to purchase 43 square miles of swampy land outside of Orlando, Florida. At first, those who picked up on the series of land transactions theorized that Ford, or the Rockefellers, or Howard Hughes were behind the deals. Possibly the Kennedy Space Center, which was located nearby. Little did they know, it was Little Walt D. Walty D. Little Walt D. Walt publicly announced the plans for the new Disney theme park and the City of Tomorrow in 1965. You can find the announcement video online, and you can see all the concepts and designs Kirka 1965. You can also see that Walt is not well, and sadly, he passed away the next year in 1966. Have you seen the Disney, the, the like Florida announcement? Yeah, it's like a 25-minute video of shows all the... Um, I mean, I like, fast-forwarded through most of <laughs> Yeah, pretty well. It was Walt's brother, Roy, who postponed his own retirement to take helm of Walt's vision. The theme park was renamed Walt Disney World to preserve Walt's name as Roy was afraid Walt's full name would disappear into history. For some reason, it was something he was really afraid of. He was like, everyone knows Ford, but no one knows Henry Ford. And I think he was just sad that his brother had died, and so it was some kind of a grieving thing. But it's like, I think they'll remember his name. But yeah, Walter. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. glad you didn't go with like the full name. Walter Johnson Disney World. Roy Disney was able to negotiate with the governor of Florida at the time. Oof, must have been nice. That the land and subsequent park would maintain all the rights and powers of an incorporated city. It is this right that has come under attack by the current governor of Florida, Rhonda. Rhonda Poopoo. Yeah. Yeah, they have their own, you know, fire department. And I don't know. I don't know much about it, but I know that it is like, well, they bring in huge revenue for this, this state. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. By October 1st, 1971, the park opened and contained a redone version of Disneyland's Magic Kingdom. Two resorts. 
two golf courses, an airport, campgrounds, and shortly after, the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea submarine voyage was added. Woohoo! They had campgrounds. They still got campgrounds, apparently. I gotta go check it out. There's like a Disney camp campgrounds. But they did all that, and from 1966 to 71, they built all those things. Again, sadly, after the park's opening, Roy Disney passed away. But what about Walt's city of the future? It was called EBCOT. E-P-C-O-T. Stands for Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. Disney dreamed EBCOT to be a utopian, autocratic company town in the style of modernism and futurism designs. Very much a mid-century concept of the future of civilization. Yeah, I just was there uh, and rode the, the Tron. They have a new Tron ride there. Pretty dope. It's like riding a, you're on this Tron motorcycle. Foo! Daft Punk does the soundtrack, I believe. Disney envisioned an end to urban sprawl and instead a city that was community-based with a central transportation system connecting all the different industrial, recreational, residential, and commercial sections of the city together. Much like the monorail in Tomorrowland in Disneyland. You want, you want to take another stab at that? Nah. Yeah. <laughs> the extensive system of rail-based transportation would mean citizens wouldn't need a car, save for weekend trips. This would allow the downtown area to be pedestrian-only spaces, like Times Square in New York City today. Oof, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, it would be nice. I mean, it's if you could just hop on a little train to go on your vacation or whatever, or, or I mean, to, to commute, mm -hmm. that'd be so much easier. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. But think about how long it takes to go around Disneyland on the freaking train. It takes like three hours because you stop and you, they're at the station forever and everyone has to load up. Yeah, but it's worth it. It'd be worth it for a nice pedestrian space. Mm -hmm. The centerpiece of the city was a 30-story hotel and convention center. This would be the tallest building in Disney World with the roof holding tennis courts, swimming pools, basketball courts, etc. 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 What floor is that on? <laughs> Fucking on the roof. Use the cutout method, though. <laughs> Inside the hotel, shops and restaurants from all over the world would wrap around the building. Epcot would have a residential area for up to 20,000 people to live in. Separating the city center from the residential areas would be a green belt, containing parks, schools, community centers, and churches. Everyone living in Epcot would work, no retirees allowed. This is kind of weird. No voting or owning your own house or land as well. This way, in Walt's mind, he could easily update all the homes with the latest technology, the moment it became available. All the residents would work at the parks or resorts, or elsewhere within the city. You know, like I said, it was an autocratic In city. Indentured servitude. <laughs> it was a little, had those vibes a little bit, uh, and a little like, you know, I could see, I mean, it was. it sounds as though it was basically a park employee living area, but it was supposed to be this futuristic city, so it's kind of... A weird mesh of like the city of tomorrow, but only for the people that work in the pier or at the park. Yeah. So then you couldn't. Yeah, I gotta get a um, charger for my computer. Hang. Basically, he wanted it to be a big futuristic hippie commune, though. He went back to his acid phase. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like it would be. I mean, honestly, kind of the opposite because everyone had to work. Uh, there was reading lines about there would be no slums or bums. That's a little bit like, uh, you know, hey. careful there, Walty, old Walty. Um, I, I mean, the idea was clean city, no traffic, you know, clean, streamlined. Yeah. Was the whole theme of it. And I understand that. 
the the issue would just be enforcement and regulation. Like, how do you make sure no one finishes their drink and throws it on the street instead of into the can? In a way, it would work, I suppose, like the parks, but there's enforcement. There's a lot of security. There's a lot of rules. There's a lot of monitoring. There's a lot, you know, so it's like, it's a little bit like a casino when you walk into the parks yeah. in terms of the level of security. Would you want to live in Disneyland, like, all, all the time? I don't think I could be that happy that all the time, you know? It's a great concept, but I can see why i mean he really died early on so he's born in 1901 he died at 1966 so what was 65 years old he was a young guy mm-hmm. he had he yeah, could have had he could have had 20 30 years to go he might have very well been able to build it and we might have seen what more it, under what it would have been yeah yeah if he had if he had been able to execute it because it was just a, on paper when he passed away Walt worked on his plans for Epcot until his death sketching his final design shortly before his passing Without Walt's leadership and drive, the plans for Epcot were shelved. In the late 19th century, yeah, you you say Eb. I'm like saying Epcot. Right? Yeah, it's Ep. It's Epcot with a P. Yeah, it sounds like you're saying Eb. Yeah, Eb. That's, that's my accent. That's my country accent. Just wanted to make sure that you know it's P because you said prototype. It's bototype. <laughs> bototype. Is that a new character you're working on? I'm Bototype. I'm workshopping Bototype, the character, yeah. Bototype 2.5. In the late 1970s, after the opening of Walt Disney World, Card Walker, or E. Carden Walker, or Esmond Carden Walker, the third, the then CEO of Disney, Mm -hmm. decides to revisit the idea of Epcot. Can you hear the dog barking? I can. The board of Disney was concerned with the initial concept, feeling like people won't want to live in such a tightly controlled society possibly true, under such close observation. Instead, the plan was to build a World's Fair-style trip around the world, with attractions and restaurants from countries all over the globe surrounding a futuristic, modernistic center focused on human achievement and technological advancements. The reimagined Epcot Center opened on October 1st, 1982. Woohoo! E-Card Walker, yeah, I've been working on this impression. I feel like he's kind of a Southern. E. Uh, e. Card Walker here. Yeah. To all who come to this place of joy, hope, and friendship, welcome. Epcot is inspired by Walt Disney's creative vision. Here, human achievements are celebrated through imagination, wonders, of enterprise and concepts of a future that promises new and exciting benefits for all. May Epcot center entertain, inform, and inspire, and above all, may it instill a new sense of belief and pride in man's ability to shape a world that offers hope to people everywhere. I am E. Card Walker, signing out. Goodbye. That's good. That's good. You you avoided falling into the Kevin Spacey House of Cards. A world that offers hope to people everywhere. I do say, yeah. That's yeah. pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, add that on there. Add that onto your impressions list there. Ugh. I got him. I got Cosby. I got Michael Jackson. <laughs> and I'm working on a Louis C.K., but uh, haven't named. <laughs> The Disney Company also created Celebration Florida, a livable Disney community on the Florida Project land. The city of Celebration used elements of Walt's original vision for the residential section of Epcot. 
However, in the 2010s, it was revealed that many of the Celebration Florida properties were molding, crumbling, and succumbing to the harsh swamp environment. Harsh swamp. Yeah, people getting eaten by crocodiles. All that to say, maybe it's better off that Walt didn't build the massive city in the Florida swamp. Before his death, Walt Disney made over 159 films and was nominated for 59 Academy Awards. Ten more and he would have been a legend. Winning 22. Both record numbers. Well, I think that's it. Unless you want, do you want to give me a little improv of maybe like Walt, like as he's dying, like on his deathbed? Oh yeah, this will this will go over well. I love everybody. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I, really I was don't. being sarcastic, but I'm surprised you even tried. I'm surprised <laughs> you even tried. I love everybody, and what I created was pretty good. My favorite thing was. I think you can put a moose on a steamboat. So fuck you, neighborhood doctor. I ain't drawing no horses no more. That's good. Insane. I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> and another thing. No. <laughs> there was the whole thing about him being uh, a communist. That's not true. He did have a Nazi over to the studio shortly after Crystal Knock. That was a misunderstanding. <laughs> Um, but yeah, there's lots of rumors. Um, he was a little anti-union, so there were a lot of slander, like true slander that was thrown during the union when his workers were trying to unionize in the like thirties or something like that. So there are a lot of fake things that are out there. So, um, we covered the real dirty bits. Yeah. I'm just, I, I got a little, a little worried about, I don't want anyone to miss perceive this as me trying you know digging up dirt on disney or or whatever like there was some stuff i'm not sure i want to riff on or um the blackface stuff is that we're talking about the blackface stuff <laughs> yes specifically you can reach out at histories a joke podcast at gmail.com we are on instagram at histories a joke pod You can find us online at LavenderFingerProductions.com. I mean, we're not talking conspiracy theories. I'm not talking about the, like, you know, frozen head or the fucking... I I can't say anything about that, but it is... It's fucking there, dude. It's fucking there. And it's it's thawing. Tune in next time for our episode on Fort Mose, the first free black settlement in America. History is a Joke podcast is supported by listeners like you. Find us on Venmo at History is a Joke.